Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio here on the All Warrior Radio Network. Um, quick trip up to Montana yesterday and today. So uh, good to be home. My daughter Colleen graduates from high school today. Yeah, my son Patrick and his fiance Sarah, they're out here. So very cool to come home last night, um, and uh, so big day today, yeah, big day, Colleen graduates high school, so yeah, so we'll do that today, and uh, I have to tell you that, um, you know, um, second year that I've, I've gone up to Montana to, to work for guys who started a project called bar x and you know they've been doing this for i think close to 10 years and uh james moran reached out uh over a year ago to me and said hey you know i've been listening to all marine radio and uh i think that you would really add something to what we do and they in my opinion broken the code relative to veteran events in that you you come back as a group um and so went up there and met a bunch of guys who were in afghanistan together members of third force reconnaissance company uh they fought together in the upper sangan valley in 2011 uh when i was in the central sangan valley so as we had time in afghanistan together so it was interesting to meet those guys and uh but I, I have to tell you this, you know, it's uh, it's never lost on me uh, when I go speak, especially to small groups where I get a chance to talk to a lot of them, um, just the terrible lack of support 
that they that they get. And and when I say lack of support, what I mean is it's not that they, they don't go to the VA, right? But they don't find answers. They don't find a path. And it's when you listen to their stories, I mean, they're they're heartbreaking. And then they sit and they listen to me, and they're like, holy shit, man. Why didn't somebody tell us this stuff before? And so uh, just an awe. And so I went uh, to a place called Fort Smith, uh, Montana. And uh, there's uh, people there that own a, a resort called the Kingfisher Lodge, which is right on the, I think, the Bighorn River. And um, there's the Bighorn River, and then there's a little Bighorn River. Um, yeah, Little Bighorn River is where Custer uh, did his thing. So anyway, or more appropriately, where the Sioux Nation did their thing on Custer. So anyway, um, just a beautiful place, and uh, the place is owned uh, by Kelly and Brock and uh, Boddicker. And uh, Kelly is like a she's like a five-star chef. Yeah, so the food you eat while you're there is like off the hook crazy good. I mean, just incredible good. So, um, but, you know, met them a year ago, so got a chance to see Kelly again. Brock went around while I was there. And and then just uh, do post-traumatic winning. And just an awesome, awesome couple days. Um, And so, uh, so... um, yeah, good to be home, and uh, and uh, the Mensa brothers will join me this morning. We'll talk about a couple things. We'll talk about, um, first we'll talk about a little bit of history, and that is, uh, and that is the Normandy uh, invasion happened 77 years ago on June 6th, this past Sunday. So I'm curious, what about that invasion that operation intrigues them, each of them. So we'll talk about a little history first, and then we'll talk about coming on the Marine Corps, relieved um, Bob Caselvi, major general type of his duties as um, of his duties as the Inspector General of the Marine Corps. He had suspended him um, just prior to the hearing on May 3rd, if I recall correctly. And uh, so now he's been relieved. Uh, but General Caselli was scheduled to retire in December. So I'm not really sure if there's anything there, there, right? Um, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about that, that in, that in, that in the news today. And uh, so they will join me in about eight minutes. The... Um, Montana's straight up beautiful, though. Yeah, big, big state, um, beautiful landscape. Driving through it's uh, um, always cool. And uh, I love flying into the Billings Airport. The Billings Airport sits, Billings is built in a river basin. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I always am curious, well, why is this city here? Most of the time, cities on rivers are there because that's where, people could get across the river and that's where the city grew there's also oil there yeah yeah so you see oil refineries uh in billings 
And uh, so there's oil there. But the airport, so buildings, the city starts in, in, in the, the, along the river. And then Montana has these buttes, if, if you will. So it, it, it looked like at some point it went up into a mountain, except the top of the mountain got shaved off. And so it goes like flat. So it's a butte. And they just, they, they leveled the top of one of these buttes. And, uh, and that's where the airport sits. So it's really cool. It's like this elevated thing sticking out. It's like an elevated aircraft carrier sticking out of like the, the terrain with an airport sitting on top of it. So it's very cool. Very cool. But, uh, an absolutely, uh, wonderful time in, uh, wonderful is not even the right word. Um, uh, to describe, uh, you know, meeting, you know, young Marines, and and now they're not so young anymore, right? They're now they're all in their thirties, uh, but guys who are struggling, you know, who, uh, and again, they might be not be struggling today because they're with all their 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 friends and this incredible intimacy that that a unit shares. They they're reenacting, right? And you you can feel it in the room. You can hear the laughter and the teasing and the and uh, the smiles and the closeness and whatnot. And uh, but when you sit down and hear their stories individually, um, they're emblematic of everything that post-traumatic winning is, right? The amount of trauma that comes into the military, right? Then the things that happen in the military. Then afterwards, when you struggle, you go looking for help, but you really don't find a whole lot that resonates with you. So what do you what do you reduce to? You reduce to. Um, you know, self-medicating normally with alcohol and um, and faking it and getting through your day. And it's a lonely, isolated world when you when you have to live like that. And so uh, so just great, great, great young, you know, young Americans. And uh, so uh, so a wonderful couple of days up there. So good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. <laughs> Dedicated to uh, uh, the Marines of Third uh, Force Reconnaissance Company uh, that are up in uh, that are up in Montana right now, and to the guys who run the Bar X Project. Uh, first of all, Bar X Project is uh, is is a great organization. Uh, you should check them out if you have an organization that you would like uh, to get back together, uh, that fought together, 
look up Bar X. It's Bar Dash X, and you'll find them. Not hard to find. And uh, the guy you're looking for is James Moran, M O R A N, and uh, great organization. And then you have, you know, great leaders um, in that organization. Uh, in you know, Third Force Constance Company. You have. You know, you, just great guys in there that helped put this together and, and, you know, and pushed and prodded guys who weren't sure where they wanted to go or do something like this and got them all together. And, again, you just – I walked up to – you know, I don't know any of them, right? I walk up and and, uh, and you can hear the laughter. You can feel it. And so uh, this is dedicated to them. Nice going. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. check the weather and then uh, we will get the Mensa Brothers uh, 
on board currently. Partly sunny in 81 in Quantico, down the coast. Partly sunny, mostly sunny in 83 at Camp Lejeune. 29 Palms has cooled off. Sun in 63, Camp Pendleton. Sun in 62, Camp Pendleton, where there's, they're fighting fires these days, which is a normal summer ritual. But this is a little bit earlier in the summer. California using the drought word again. Um, Camp Smith and White, dark cloudy in 72. Okinawa, dark cloudy 79. Darwin, for the first time in recorded history, at least since I've been watching the Darwinian weather, it is uh, in the 60s. Yeah, dark cloudy in 68. How about that? And to the opposite, first time I think I've ever seen Norway in the 70s. Oslo, mostly sunny in 72. At the home of All Marine Radio, it is mostly sunny and 63. Looking for a high today of 71. 73 tomorrow, 74 on Saturday, 74 on Sunday, and 77 on Monday. So that is a uh, look at your weather here on a uh, on a Thursday. I've kind of lost track of the days of the week, so excuse me if I struggle with that a little bit. Um, and we'll fire up the Mensa machine, and uh, we will see what happens. That's Tim Lynch joins me. Good morning, Timothy. Ah, got the mute off. Hey, Mac, how's it going, brother? Good. Will is here sooner than expected in a different perch than he normally is. And Jeffrey's sitting in his car someplace. Yes, I am. I'm parking lot of G7. There you go. All right. Um, Have a little weather report. Tim, why don't we start with you? I got an unusual amount of cloud cover. It's about uh, averaging 102 in the afternoon. The heat index is 110. But we've got one of these uh, big batches of cloud cover over McAllen keeping the weather down this morning. So that's nice. Yeah. So 102 with the heat index at 110? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting slammed. Down. Well, it's, that's, it's rather typical this time of year. Wow. Keeps the riffraff out, though, yes? No, not <laughs> it, it. It keeps them confined to the areas next to the river where they can get policed up and uh, and taken in. Like right. uh, Mayor's, new mayor's Republican. So there's. Uh, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, Mister Villabus, he is. So there's no reason to live in McAllen. It's really shitty weather, and it doesn't keep the riffraff out. It does not. The, uh, the there's no reason to be in McAllen in the summertime. At the, in the winter, this is deluxe. Okay. It's nice here. All right, Jeffrey, how about you? Weather report from. Uh, Camp Pendleton? Camp Pendleton's getting hotter and the uh, base is on fire, but it's contained. So. Yeah, could you ex- <laughs> could you explain to us which part of the base is on fire? Um, I think it's up there by uh, Roblox Road area, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me. And uh, it's contained, so they lift. They had kind of like an evacuation uh, alert for a little bit, but they they uh, negated that. So whatever they got it under control, supposedly. What did they? Um, where did, were they evacuating? I don't know. I just, as a matter of fact, I heard that on the news. I didn't hear it from anybody here at the base. Oh, so this is allegedly evacuating. Yeah, right. No, I saw it in the news too. But I'm thinking, well, I wonder where the fire is. I wonder what they would be evacuating. The closest thing to evacuate around there would be. Uh, Olga's, 
Polgus, if depending on where the fire is, and if it's yeah. it's further what uh, east and south, maybe O'Neill Heights would be, you know, someplace. Yes, that's a, that's, a uh, that's the most commonly O'Neill Heights and uh, Deleuze Housing are the most uh, you know commonly evacuated if they're, if they're going to get that far. It's rare, like if you remember, I don't know if Will you were still there, but they evacuated uh, Onafray. Um, uh, like 2006 or seven, you were, I think you were gone by then. Yeah, we were gone. Yeah, yeah. The um, so fire season uh, here on the West Coast. Uh, William, uh, first of all, where uh, where's Waldo? Uh, you were in Boston the other night. Now where are you? At an undisclosed location in New York. <laughs> <laughs> At an undisclosed location. So give us a little rundown of your your trip to Fenway Park. You don't even like sports, and he, like, bombs in this picture of him and very, very nice seats. And uh, one of the great baseball, historic and fun baseball venues in the United States, Fenway Park. In Baston. Yeah, yeah we, uh, I think... Uh, uh, the Marlins came in for a makeup game. So it was a 5-15 start. 17-15 uh, for all you military people. Um, on a 94-degree day yes. in Boston. And uh, we stayed for six innings, but it was a complete baseball game. There was a home run, ground rule double, shot off the green monster. There were errors. There were double plays. Um there was a pass ball. Someone scored from third. Um, there were no hit batters, and there were no ejections. But other than that, if it was in baseball, oh, and a guy three seats away from us caught a foul ball. So he had hey. everything he wanted to have. Wow. Baseball game. How many beers did you have? Uh, just one there. Because um, I hadn't been playing cards lately, so my bankroll is is down a little bit, so I can't afford to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> and and then wow. and then we went uh, to North End for dinner. Uh, yeah, that's that, the WAP section. Yeah. So yeah, really good. Yeah, the five fifteen uh, start. I mean, the earlier start that is conducive to you know six innings and dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. Yeah. It was fun. There you go. There you go. The um, I was up in Montana with uh, guys from uh, third. Force Reconnaissance Company that were fought in the Upper Sangin in 2011. And, you know, it's uh, these guys from Barracks, they bring groups of guys who together who fought together. And you can only imagine, right, um, the shit show and the hilarity that, you know, these guys haven't seen each other in almost 10 years. And you walk up and you can hear them laughing and just a ball busted and whatnot. So, I mean, they had done... Um, you know, Timmy, I think was the first person really to talk to me about veteran weekends and things like that. And that's, you know, veterans, you know, going to something. This is very cool because these are guys who served together, fought together and they're together again. So I think they've broken the code on, you know, creating a great environment to, 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 uh, and they're out there fly fishing. Montana just absolutely dropped it. Gorgeous part of the, part of the country. And so, so pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. The, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to Normandy seventy seventh anniversary this past Sunday. Um, I wanted to ask you all, you know, as readers and and guys who love history, um, what breaks squelch for you about Normandy, 
And because we're talking about history, Jeffrey will have to go first, uh, as is our tradition. Well, um, the, the way the Army did the amphibious invasions, the, uh, they would land the assistant division commander first, like in the first couple waves. And, uh, and so the performance of those guys, particularly the 29th Division, a guy named Norman Coda, and the 4th Division, which was over on uh, um, um, uh, not, not Omaha Beach, but uh, um, um, God damn it, I'm having a brain fart. But uh, he was the president's son, President Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt's son. He was the assistant division commander, and he had been fired in Sicily from being the assistant division commander of the first, the first uh, infantry division, um, along with the CO, Terry Allen, by General Bradley. And he got a chance to go back again. And, uh, and he did. He was the, uh, and they're on uh, um, Utah Beach. And, and so it was interesting to me how that happened. And, of course, uh, there's uh, complications to where, especially on Omaha Beach, we all know this, that made it almost a disaster. But uh, despite all the stuff that went on, because of these guys, I mean, this guy Coda and Roosevelt, even though the, uh, you know, uh, Utah Beach wasn't as, as bloody as uh, Omaha Beach, they managed to uh, join f- all four beaches together by the time the day had ended and they were separated across about uh, like a 40 mile front. So it was pretty amazing. And, uh, the, and then le- reading the story about that. And also you had the second Ranger battalion commanded by a guy named Rudder, I think Lieutenant Colonel Rudder. And, uh, and they had special missions. So if you look at the order of battle for it, you know, it's got uh, the two airborne divisions, 82nd and 101st. And then you have the, uh, the 90th Division, the 4th Division on Utah Beach, and then the 1st Infantry Division and the uh, and the 29th. And that 29th, they just kept shoving them in there. And if you read that great book, the trilogy by Atkinson, um, the one I think the na- last title of the last book is uh, At Dawn's Last Light or something. But he, he goes into the future. What happened to these guys afterwards? And uh, this guy, Coda, man, he's a stud, you know, but... Uh, if anyone deserved to have PTSD, it was that guy because he just kept getting his nose bloodied and his nose bloodied his, all the way up to the end of the war, pretty much. Roosevelt's son dies on, on at Normandy, right? He does. Didn't he have he a, heart a heart attack? attack in yeah. Norm- yeah. He has a heart attack in Normandy. He dies, and for all the crap he did, uh, you know, during the thing, he got the Medal of Honor, which his dad got like forty years later, or fifty years later, posthumously, of course for the uh you know for san juan hill so uh that's yeah, interesting little tidbits there for sure yeah. and uh and the reason they got relieved terry allen and uh and roosevelt was because they the, the big red one was a proud division and uh they performed good wherever they fought um sicily and then in sicily though i guess they they were libo uh animals you know they 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 did a lot of I can't imagine it being that big of a deal then, but it was to the point where Bradley fired him. They went and they fired him. And Patton tried to not fire him because he's friends with the guy. As a matter of fact, all of them were pretty much friends or, you know, they had grudges against each other, but they fired uh, both Allen and, and uh, Roosevelt. And Allen, if you remember, a lot of the night attack stuff we were doing in IOC was based on, he went back to the States and he specialized in, in the night attacks with his division. He got another, He also got another division, and they specialized in battalion night attacks, which basically was 
approach march, engage the you know enemy sentry posts, and then put up the alum and shoot the arty and then go for it. Not this fucking shit we were doing that you know it was like a Chinese communist attack on uh, you know Marines at uh, at uh, you know uh, Chosen Reservoir. We they were, they complete, were doing it in a complete, practical way that, complete, that got success. Complete with bugles, okay. Complete yes. with bugles. Yes. The um, no, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you know uh, in World War Two you you can get fired and rehired, right? Yeah, and, and it happened on a regular basis. That that. As long as they were venial sins, mortal sins, you got fired and you didn't come back, but because they judged you incompetent. But if they if they were mere venial sins, you, you tended to come back. Timmy, how about you? What? Like, go ahead, Jeff. Like slapping soldiers or, or screwing nurses, those were uh, venial sins. Yeah. Losing battles, that was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. The um. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, they're going through Europe for God's sakes, and they're, I mean, they're getting drunk, and and you know, and it's, I mean, you can only imagine the craziness that was go- going on when, you know, guys aren't occupied and you're in a European city. I mean, it must have been, <laughs> yeah. Thank God there was no Twitter then. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Tim, how about you? What breaks squelch throughout Normandy for you? Well, you know, dovetailing on what Jeff said, the, the the first thing I thought of when he mentioned General Roosevelt was that, that he died the day after seeing his son, the night before. His son was also an infantry officer somewhere in the uh, uh, fight in, 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 uh, in Normandy. And, and it's only been recently, I think within the last 20 years or so, that we've been able to access histories that have these vignettes at the human level, because uh, um, that 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 trilogy by Atkinson is 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 phenomenal. It's it's it is so much pleasure to read. Go, going back to Normandy, that as a Marine officer, my 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 initial uh, uh, critique would be the lack or the inadequate uh, pre-invasion bombardment, particularly with the naval guns that had the flatter trajectory. But that's 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 that would be pretty standard. You can say that about every invasion, amphibious invasion of that war. It's not that's not exactly original. But what really breaks squelch for me was the promiscuous use of the airborne divisions because they had no expectation of those guys arriving where they're supposed to arrive and doing what they were supposed to do. They knew that they weren't going to be able to to to, to have that level of precision in the flying because they've never done it before. No reason to expect they would pull it off, but what they did understand was the utility of having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of highly armed and aggressive little bastards running around in the rear area sowing confusion. That was a hell of a gamble, throwing that many people uh, uh, into a fray of, of that magnitude, knowing that you stand a very good chance of losing most, if not all of them. And, and uh, it, it certainly speaks to the fact that... Uh, uh, when you're talking about a, 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 a all-out war, war, um, the, the the what's acceptable risk-wise increases exponentially, and you find yourself in a in situations where you're jumping in, knowing that the chances of, of of coming out of that are pretty slim, but nobody backed down, which is again consistent with World War Two. What what it what was the largest parachute jump prior to Normandy? So, Sicily. Yeah, 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 in a fiasco of unmitigated proportions. Yeah, pretty amazing when you think of exactly what you said. The um, the risk, you know, that was willing to be taken, and 
look, we've, we've done exercises. We know that depending on the wind and the weather conditions and, and if the aircraft can even get near the drop zone, um, you know, this, this is going to be anywhere from brilliant to a com- unmitigated disaster. And we're not really sure what it's going to be in between. But the bottom line is we will der- certainly inhibit their ability to access the beach and, and get closer and, and willing to accept that risk. Um, the chef who comes on on Friday, his father flew one of the C-47s that was towing gliders. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you, when you, I th- think one of the great scenes of uh, Band of Brothers that I think they do a really good depiction of is those guys in the air, right, uh, when they leave England and they're flying over the channel and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose over France. And, yeah, I mean, these guys are flying in their khaki uniforms, right, with soft covers on. Some guys have a helmet, Right, and you're and, and they do. I think a great job of what these guys saw and felt as sitting in the back of those planes. And you see, you see C-47s hit, you know, on fire, you know, heading for the ground. Guys, onesies and twosies hopping out, and a big ball of flame. And you think, shit, you just trained for three years, never even got close to getting out of that goddamn airplane. And I, I think the scene is great and great because I never, you know, you never really thought about, you know. I mean, these guys are flying, you know, what was made out of aluminum, C-47s. The Germans are letting it rip uh, in the sky. And uh, and then, you know, guys are panicking because they're doing this for the first time. They're, you know, guys are getting dropped in places not even close to where they're supposed to be. And uh, and I think it, it's a great, gives you a great sense of uh, what that night was. Jeff, you were going to say something. Just that, like, the uh, those uh, glider guys didn't even get jump pay. <laughs> that was back when we were dicks, man. More dicks than we are now. And yeah, they didn't get. You don't deserve a jump pair. Yeah, you're not. Even getting, though it was more dangerous not, to be in a glider, probably than you know, coming down in a parachute. Yeah, you're rubbing. You know, you're rubbing the hair off your rabbit's foot in the back of that son of a bitch, right? Yeah, give uh, me any- the, the assistant CG and one of the d- airborne divisions got killed because they thought you'd be safe sitting in your jeep. In uh, it was in. Saving or and isn't yeah saving Private Ryan, they come upon this glider with a dead guy sitting, and it's the general, and uh, and the idea was to keep him safe, but he ended up breaking his neck when the when the thing hits and hit too hard. So he was in his jeep in the back of the yeah. glider. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Mm-hmm. Hey, somebody take a look at this. Tell me if you think it's safe. <laughs> and they, it's not like the tires it's more. it's not like he had a seatbelt on because they hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, it looks good to me. You know, and uh, the the commander of the, the aviation part of this, Lay Mallory, British guy, yeah. uh, really pushed Eisenhower to cancel all that stuff, and Eisenhower said no. Part of the program, he's willing to take the risk. So. Will, how about what break? That's I'll tell you what you talk about a set. <laughs> you talk yeah. about having a little bit of intestinal fortitude. Um, Eisenhower, you know that famous picture of him talking to the screaming eagles, right? The hundred first airborne. Um, those guys all cammied up and ready to go, and 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 then, right, <laughs> and, <laughs> those eccentric haircuts, and then and then his memoirs talk about what that was like to go do. 
and uh, knowing where he's sending them, what would probably happen to a lot of those guys. And uh, I mean, Eisenhower, I don't think gets a, enough credit for being um, a, kind of an iron man in all of that, in that tempest. And, and, and I don't think he was 50 years old at the time. No. Class of, I think he was 16 from West Point. So, yeah. Yeah. He would have been a colonel in OIF 1. Yep. Well, yeah, he went I, from, he, I mean, he went from uh, lieutenant colonel to uh, to major general fast, you know, um, because of war, for sure. He was born on October 14th of 1890 in Denison, Texas, so it makes him, what, 54? Oh, 54, yeah. older than I thought. 54, Sorry. yeah. The, yeah. Um, so what breaks squelch and all of that for you, Will? I, uh, two things that are linked together. Um, eight divisions total. Five ground, three airborne, like 5,000 ships, over 1,000 airplanes just doing the lift, I think. So think of the planning and the logistics to put that together. No computers, no word processors. There must have been 100,000 typists in the force just typing out orders and handing them around. But think of the planning to get that degree uh, of integration and then the logistics um, to get it all there. Uh, pretty amazing. I mean, you know, we've all done battalion regimental type exercises that get pretty complicated. Multiply that by a hundred thousand. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's really something. And, you know, we've got guys, professional staff officers that have been doing this their whole lives. Um, you know, the army was what a hundred thousand people in 1937 or 1938. Yeah, uh, we we're smaller than Portugal. I mean, it's really it's pretty astounding how far they came uh, with that. And a big chunk of those guys had never uh, had no combat experience to boot. So, you know, I when think, I first started reading those Atkinson books, I was a three of the fifteenth Mew, and I planned my ass off, and you guys know why. <laughs> but I, I did a lot of amphibious planning, and uh, uh, which I, when I was reading, that's when Atkinson's book came out, and uh, so I read the Army of Dawn about North Africa, and then I started going through. More, I'm thinking, you know what? Those guys at D-Day didn't have to worry about all this fucking ship to landing craft crap because they put them right on the landing craft in England. Because it was such a short channel ride, you know, but uh, but still, the complexity of all the lanes and the, uh, you know, the fireboxes, you know, for the uh, battleships and uh, and supporting uh, navy stuff, it it combined with the airborne. The, the idea was to drop huge bombs on the beach so it would create defilade, and they dropped them like a half mile inland, you know, um, which all that did is kind of exacerbate the confusion of uh, the airborne drops. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing thing, the complexity of it. And the ability to have the guts to say, you know what? If things just don't work out, you got to make it work. And that's what the story of D-Day in, in uh, particular and Normandy in general is. People, you know, um, who have to deviate from the plan because the the pain-in-the-ass Germans kept screwing things up for everybody, you know? And uh, th- that's, to me, great. You know, the, the idea of the Rangers, if you look at the – order of battle the rangers are put in the support troop category 
And the two missions, you know, that they mainly, the, the main missions they did, number one was Point Duhok, where the Germans had these ungodly, uh, you know, um, I think naval guns or huge yeah. guns, bigger Six, than 88. 16 and, 16 and 18 inch guns. Right. And the idea was they would enfilade both uh, beaches because they had the range to do it, both the American beaches. Because me being such a, um, such a, you know, a, uh, uh, an America file, I guess. I didn't even know which Brit units did what. <laughs> so, uh, but I know that uh, they were at Point Duhok, and and of course the guns weren't there, and they got there. They had to go and find them. But also, they there was a couple of key beach exits, that, and as we know as Marines, the beach exit is a crucial, you know, part of it. And a lot of the beaches just kind of went off into uh, into built up areas. But but Omaha Beach, it was hard to get from the beach to the uh to to get inland because of the uh you know the cliff terrain and so forth so it's just interesting to me and then everything gets all bought 29th division first division rangers are all mixed up people just had to make it work right i did an interview with a uh a guy um this is in 2001 uh i was on june 6 2001 so september 11th hasn't happened yet and one of the things I, I was doing, I, I'd learned to do is find people in your community. And I'm living in a town of about 100,000 people in the area, um, Grand Forks, North Dakota. And so I'd go looking for people that were at Pearl Harbor. And they were, you know, right, they'd be, in your, they'd be in your community and bring them on the radio and just talk about, you know. So I'm looking for somebody who uh, was at Normandy. And so I call the Legion VFW. Every phone number they give me, they're at, you know, they're at the lake. Oh, he's gone for the weekend. He's got the lake. And, you know, it sounds like I was looking for uh, James Bradley. Um, and so um, the um, this woman called. So I go on the air and I say, hey, I'm looking for somebody that was there. You know, if you know somebody, call me. So she calls me during the commercial break. She says, my dad. So I call him. And she said he's in an assisted living facility. So I call him just to make sure he was okay with doing it. And, and you know, if he was, you know, mentally sound enough. Because I, I would never want to embarrass him. And so he speaks with this thick, thick, you know, uh, Norwegian accent, right? And yeah, and all that, right? So, uh, so I said his name's Harris Holman. I said, so Harris, um, I'm going to call you back from another phone from my studio. So stay right there. I need to know what what was your rank when you got out, and what unit were you with? He said, I was a staff sergeant when I got out, and I was with the 75th Ranger Regiment. And I said, okay. And I hung the phone up, and I'm running down the hall to the studio to call him back. And I'm thinking, good God. Maybe he went, did he go up Point du Hoc? And so the interview is me, just a total geek nerd, right, with this guy who went up the cliffs at Point du Hoc. He was a squad leader. And the story, so, you know, I said, so uh, he said, uh, I said, what was it like being off the coast that day when you got in the boats? He said, you know, I'd watching it he said i thought i would die you know and i said well what did you have on your back when you went up like you're supposed to take out those guns he said oh, rifles and hand grenades the whole thing based on surprise we shoot the grappling hooks we go up and we kill them and um <laughs> yeah i mean, <laughs> I mean a little good, bit of, plan. good plan right and so um and then what happens is they get fucked up at sea and and and, and they they head I think way to the right, right? Whatever direct, cardinal direction that is, right. I'm not sure. But And then they have to come back. And they go up there, 
And the terrain is so jacked up, they don't recognize there's no landmarks there anymore. So all the things they've seen on maps have been destroyed by the naval bombardment and, and more by the aviation bombardment. And so they're like, okay, where is everything? So now they start sorting it out. And he tells the story. He's wounded three times. Uh, and uh, he sees his brother, like two days later, his brother's in in what would become Patton's, what, 3rd Armored Division or, or something like that. And, third, but it, well, it's 3rd Army. but 3rd Army, right. So his brother is, is driving a tank. And he sees his fucking brother on the beach at Normandy. And he tells this great story. And, uh, and then he told me that, you know, he met Patton, like, on several occasions. I said, so what was he like? He said, oh, we like that guy. He said he was uh, he didn't screw around, but he knew what he was doing. We did not do stupid things. He knew the terrain. He knew where to fight. He knew where not to fight. And he said he told me I'd get the Medal of Honor. He said I never got it, but he said he told me I would get it. And uh, and then you know he tells the story about he came home. He went to work in a creamery, and uh, mm-hmm. you know raised two kids and 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 that was like. But I mean, the whole interview is is just. I wish I could do it again because I I. I'm a little bit more experienced now, and it'd be a much better interview. But I could not believe I was talking to a guy who had gone up like the cliffs at Point Duhok, a piece of iconic American history and certainly of Ranger history. Um, how many people do you think, um, you know, as best I could tell, died uh, at Normandy that day? I think it's well over. Well, I mean, I don't know about Normandy. I know well over a thousand on Omaha Beach alone and uh, the whole casualties for normandy between june 6th and july 28th is like uh almost a quarter of a million yeah yeah i'm just talking about the day invasion day to me yeah i know yeah jeff says over a thousand to me how many kia how many you think? Well, yeah yeah you yeah, add about i think two maybe 300 from utah beach to that and then to add the airborne on top of that and you're talking absolutely what three four thousand yeah, and then the Brits, who kept getting hammered, uh, they thought they'd be able to easily take Khan, and the Germans just kept kicking their ass. They oh, yeah, that's right. right. Will, what's your guess? Yeah, I mean, a, a quarter million for the campaign sticks in my head. So, um, D-Day itself, I would say uh, um, casualties or KIA? Ka- uh, KIA. Yeah, so let's say uh, airborne total twenty thousand, maybe uh, fifteen hundred. Yeah, four, five, six thousand KIA, four thousand KIA, maybe four thousand four hundred and fourteen confirmed dead, ten thousand casualties uh, in the invasion alone. The um, yeah, you know it's a uh, you know it's to me you know it's when you see that vastness. You know, and the, just the ships alone. How the hell did you get all those ships in order, right, with the right shit, right, in them and on all of that? And then the aviation piece. Yes, no computers. <laughs> no computers. Right. These are guys. That, that is why. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and the mulberries, they, they tied, they, they tow over two of those mulberries to make themselves a port. Right. That was that was rather phenomenal engineering fleet. Only one of them survived the weather, but uh, right. without those mulberries, that that beach was of little use. They couldn't get a lot across it. 
Amazing, right? So we don't have the technology. There's nothing. So let's make it. We'll make it, and then we'll tow it. Okay. Yeah. What do we do? Uh, so, no, it's amazing. 77 years later, and uh, because of COVID, uh, not the, so the commemorations, not very large. The number of veterans that were you know, going to attend, I, I think I saw a picture of only one. Uh, I, I read that more would have. Uh, had it not been for the COVID thing. So, uh, but you know, the greatest generation getting smaller by the year, but, uh, no, you just, uh, and you know, when we were kids, it's not like you could go to YouTube and see all the stuff you could see now. Right. I mean, when the longest day came on, right. What is that? Like a four hour movie or some shit like that. I mean, I used to watch that thing. Right. And then John Wayne playing the battalion commander. Who is he? Who did he play? And he goes into San Maraglis, and there's guys hanging from steeples, and he, he's yeah. on that cart, right, because he broke his ankle or some shit like that. I mean, that was the definitive story about D-Day, the longest day. And uh, so so you watched it every time it came on. The um, All right, uh, next subject. Uh, the Commandant um, has, I guess, finalized the suspension and removed General Caselvi as the IG. Is there – General Caselvi scheduled to retire at the end of the year – is there any there there to the story? Tim? A rather unseemly reaction to the news, it would appear to me. But I, I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I, I, I could see where the general was could was certainly culpable in the uh, pre- preparation of the units chopped to the mew. But the time to figure that out was long ago. When it's when all of a sudden uh, the investigation. Investigation comes out, and then the parents make a stink, and the press starts getting interested. That's not the time to start uh, taking scalps. It's, it's bad for morale, Are in my sh- opinion. Okay, all right. Um, well, just yeah. just for the record, has General? Have you seen? I haven't seen anything that General Monday's investigation has been complete. Lieutenant General Monday's investigation has been completed. Did I miss something? Has it been completed? I've seen nothing. Okay, yeah, so, nothing. Yeah, so I'm 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 curious. I mean, why the timing of it? I mean, did he conduct his own survey? Did he find out something he didn't know before? So I'm, I'm curious about the time, the timing of it. But um, yeah. will I, will your I, thoughts? I've been saying this since we started. This is that you know the commandant is, is being ill served um, by his staff. You know, the Marine Corps has been behind the curve on this. Uh, you know, at least in terms of these investigations. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I don't, you know, when Tim says I think it's bad for morale, I, I think it's bad for the institution. I don't think I don't think anybody gives a shit morale-wise. I mean, the average jarhead or some general got fired, so what? You know, um, institutionally, I think it's bad. Um because it's reactive instead of proactive. Uh, I think I just hung up on everybody. Jeff got disconnected because his phone overheated, and then he called back. So Jeff's with us. Yes, I'm back. 
my phone is I'm in the car and it's getting hot here and the phone overheated. I'm sorry. I don't know if you overheated or the phone did. Tim joins us. <laughs> Tim? Yeah, I'm I'm back with you. I think we lost Will on the switchover. He didn't roll roll freaks on time. He will. He'll get it here in a second, I, I think. But uh Um Yeah, he was a mid sentence too. So I think Will just joined us. Will okay, I'm back. Okay. There you go. Uh, Jeff's if you need to turn your video off because it's overheating your phone and just do audio, we can we can live with that. Okay. All right. Go ahead, All Will. Right. You finish your thought. Uh, nope. I don't know where I was. But no, nobody, I, no Marine in terms of morale, you know, no, reading yeah, this. I mean, I think it's irrelevant to the force. You know, they don't even know who these generals are or care. And uh, like I said, it's bad institutionally because institutionally, I, I think what, what we're known for, what we like to be known for is to be proactive uh, and, and take charge. And this is very reactive and somewhat, it, it's easily spun to be political. You know, some political people were unhappy, so we're going to give them a scalp. I don't think that's what we want to be known for. That's not healthy for the institution. So. Jeff, uh, your thoughts about about this? And again, so bottom line is, you know, Lieutenant General Monday's not his investigation, from what I've heard, has not been completed. And so, what? Why? Um, why is that? You know, why? Why is this happening now? Um, the Marine Corps yesterday, in a statement, said that General Caselvi who was suspended the the Friday before the House Armed Service Subcommittee on Readiness hearing, right, in a move that, that yeah. you know, to point out what Will said, you know, it looks like we're reacting to, you know, what's going to go in front of the public. So yeah. General Caselby was suspended from his duties as the IG of the Marine Corps, the Inspector General of the Marine Corps. This official, uh, this statement yesterday, from, the, from Headquarters Marine Corps. The Commandant personally and formally counseled him for his failure to properly train the Marines and sailors for whom he was entrusted and for the inadequate evaluation of the AAV platoon before it was attached to the 15th MU. The Commandant's decision is part of Major General Caselvi's permanent record and must be considered if he is evaluated for promotion, retention, or roles and responsibilities. This action typically prevents an officer from being promoted or serving in a role where he or she would be charged with responsibility for caring for Marines or sailors uh, would add it. Okay. So, so again, I don't know what's changed and why this is happening now, but Jeff, your thoughts on it. Well, like Will said, it smacks of feed the bearism. You know what I mean? And um, because, uh, you know, General Mundy's doing this investigation, which I'm I'm assuming includes the Navy, too. You know, so um, I think the correct thing would have finished that investigation and have both uh, services, you know, have have their stuff investigated. So we know exactly, you know, what happened, you know, who, who dropped the ball where and, and so forth, because, uh like I said, this it's almost like they're incrementally trying to, well, will this satisfy the, uh, the mob out there, you know? The, will this satisfy the, you know, the media that if we just do this? You know, that's what it kind of smacks of to me, not really trying to, um, you know, we'll see what happens with General Mundy's thing. Uh, 
but uh, that's that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, and and just a little, you know, sort of inside baseball bureaucracy. Um, you know, we only got allocation for so many generals, and uh, if Castelli's not going to survive this thing, we got to get him off the reservation to create a hole so we can promote someone else. Um, because otherwise you've got billets that are just not being filled. And so if he's dead man walking, then just put a bullet and and get him out of there once and for all. It should have been done. If you knew this was going to happen, you could have done it a year ago. But uh, now you got the worst of all worlds going on out there. So, again, I I think the commandant's ill-served by his staff for this entire thing so far. The um yeah I, I I agree with um I agree with Jeff in terms of I I would have thought that you what you would have seen is G- Lieutenant General Monday's investigation submitted and then you would you would see the entirety of Marine Corps discipline you know there's a question about General Osterman there's a question about General Savage there's a question about you know all the different general officers that were that were in the the bug splat of this incident and so to me. You, you know, you commissioned that investigation. I, I, I was surprised. That's why I thought, did I miss something? Did, did he, does he have the investigation? And now he's taken, but he doesn't cite in the statement that based on General Monday's, you know, submissions to me, I've concluded this. He doesn't say any of that. And so, um, so again, I just now, are we, we're certainly going to see another iteration of this um, when uh, General Monday's investigation is complete. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit, in my opinion, of, of a head scratcher uh, to me. You know, we were talking about Normandy before, and uh, before Normandy happened, they had a rehearsal that turned into a disaster. I mean, there was some enemy action involved, but a place called Slapped in Sands. I mean, hundreds of people died. And uh, it's just interesting. I'm not saying that, you know, it's it's uh, it's obviously not the same type of time. It's not the same type of, uh, you know, urgency of uh you know enemy action and so forth but uh as far as i know nobody got fired above uh you know the lieutenant colonel level Interesting. well I, again i i think again you need those seen, guys to fight the war <laughs> not yeah. enough time to get other ones you know? yeah but right different day day different time much different visi- right. much di- different visibility in the world, I mean, yes. a lot of that stuff is interesting. You know, what you said a bit ago, Jeff, that we now have, I don't know if you said it or Will said it, but we now have access to, uh, you know, things that we never had access to before. Well, think about the media coverage then. The media coverage yeah. was blocked out. The only things that got written were the things that, you know, that, that, they, the, let them. that they let them pr- print. And so you, I mean, you had complete, you know, sway over, you know, how the war was covered. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, and when they didn't do it, that, like, uh, the one, I mean, I'm not a big FDR fan. I know that's like sacrilege, but one thing he did do that was smart was, uh, I think it was the Chicago Tribune, or Chicago Sun-Times actually printed the day that they're going to invade, they're going to invade Omaha Beach. They had six, they said, we're going to do it on 4 June. It was too close. And so they, that was caused a big hold. What should we arrest these guys? And Roosevelt said, no, we ignore it. You know, and, uh, yeah, that was the right call. They haven't got they haven't believed. got anything else right. Why would the Germans believe this? Yeah, 
Hey, right, like the Germans are reading the Chicago right, Sun Times or Chicago Tribune, and and uh, you know, and saying, "Hey, you know, get this." Um, so, bottom line, with this action taken with General Caselvi, um, is there any there there? I mean, this is just a continuation of his suspension uh, from May th- from prior to the the hearing. Um, well, it'll be it'd be interesting to see how how far they go after him. You know, is he going to have a board of inquiry and see if he retires as a two star or as a one star? I don't know if they will. Um, you know, so so if if they don't, right? Um, this is a measure. I mean, if you were if you're a cynic, what would you say? This is a measure to protect General Caselvi in his retirement and get him out the door, right? If you were a cynic, yes. Yeah, or it's just they're just they're just trying to get. They're, they're attempting in some way to be able to say we did the right thing and get it over with. Uh, and, you know, hopefully those people, the people in Congress that already hate us, will leave us alone. Right. Why, why, why are you be, concerned with people that hate us? I don't know. Why don't we just bear. be concerned with doing the right thing? Um, but um, I don't know. Feed that bear and hope he leaves us alone. Give them one kid and hope he leaves the rest of their family be. Yeah. And, and again, these people hate us. So what do we care what they think? We should be doing something because it's the right thing to do, pure and simple. And we just seem to have stumbled through this whole thing without ever really seemingly someone getting involved and doing the right thing. You know? uh, you and know that's really, that I- is really a, an apt uh statement because if they hate you anyway i mean you should always do the right thing but if they hate you anyway just do what you think is right i mean exactly. we, we could unemploy half our lawyers and paos in the marine corps if we did that no the, you know we talk about you know i use that phrase high-end conformists right and when if the right thing isn't guiding you and you're worried about consensus right then you're going to go up there and you're going to get it handed to you and, you know, you have to, as Will says, I mean, his consistency. And I would love for somebody to ask about, you know, to ask Will's question. What did your readiness reporting say? I know it's yeah. classified. We might have to, you know, reconvene the hearing. Tell me what your commanders, you know, were, were, were reporting to you. And let's talk about that because there you have people, professional people, that are supposed to be on top of this readiness stuff. So... You know, so given that kind of stuff, what is the right thing to do and how does and if, if that guides you, then you can answer any questions because this is the right thing to do for the organization. I, I, no, I think you're I, I think you're spot on. All right. Let's talk about what you're reading these days. Um, t- Timothy, what are you reading? Well, I already read a, a very small uh, new book by Sebastian Younger called Freedom in which uh, he, he's discussing a walk that he took with some veterans from the Pesh Valley, although they never talk about who he's with or what they did or anything like that. He starts out by talking about walking, and then he's talking about walking along train tracks because that's the route that they're taking. And right. he goes into a long discussion about trains and rails and the dangers inherent there, too. And the first thing I'm thinking of is Will. I'm like, oh, Will's going to like love this thing. 
But it's a we great... don't call those people that when they walk and interact, you know, we call them. Oh yeah. Oh no, that, that's what he talks about. They have to they frequently have to evade police. They are trespassers. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, he, he talks about that exactly. And it's a there's a lot of danger to walking along a train track. But at any rate, it, it's it's as usual one of these eclectic books that that starts talking about. Hold on, I want to ask a question about walking on train tracks. Okay. okay. Now, I'm not going to say that I was talked into this by a woman, but that might be the case. So we're in <laughs> San Clemente, and we're walking on the beach, and we might have gone for a run. And she said, "Well, let's walk back on the railroad tracks." I said, "Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea." And as has been the case in many times of my life since I was a teenager, I was I did the wrong thing because of a woman, and um, and so we're walking on the railroad tracks, and all of a sudden I hear this noise, and I turn and here's this fucking here's this fucking train, so I grab her and I shoved her off the tracks. I hopped off the tracks. The train goes by. Will why are trains so quiet? Well, those are uh, those are probably passenger trains. Right. So they're small. Bigger passenger train might have, uh, you know, six cars. They might be a thousand feet long, and I, I couldn't tell you the tonnage. A freight train is typically about uh, at least six, if not twelve times that long, and probably twenty times the tonnage. So they move those tracks around a lot more. Um, and those passenger trains down there are going 60, 70 miles an hour. Um, so, and all of that, you know, figure freight tracks, all those freight tracks are private property. That's why they're called trespassers. Um, the, uh, the passenger lines may be running on a freight line or they may be on, be on a public access and now you're just in violation of some other law about being on that property. But, yeah, it's crazy dangerous. Because even if mm-hmm. the train sees you, it ain't stopping. It can't well, stop. And, and it can launch projectiles out of those tracks that, that oh, yeah. move at tremendous feet per second. I mean, it's like a rocket rocket yeah. coming off of those trains sometimes. All yeah. kinds of people have been killed by that stuff. Yeah, so I, I just want to tell killed. everybody. I just want to tell everybody. That's not a good idea. Okay. No. It's, no, it's, the, it's the never a good thing to be. It's never a good thing walking, to be. It's the easiest route to take, particularly if you can get onto cinder access roads and stay off the tracks. But that's why they were doing it. Well, they we were to walk for months. We were down by Nixon's house, right? And we're headed back up to the pier in San Clemente. It's like so. It was the most. Yeah, it was. It was. Area. Yeah, it was terra firma. It was the most it was cliff on one side and beach on the other side. Yeah. yeah, so like we could have walked up the beach, but that would have been more effort. So let's get on the tracks and like, so if anybody ever suggests that to you, I just want to give some advice, to everybody. Just say no, okay? All right, now back to you, Tim. Well, it's it's just an interesting book because he goes in and talking about Indians and talking about sedentary versus an active lifestyle. It's just an interesting book written about uh, a walk that he took with a bunch of veterans who were just trying to get uh, get past whatever was bothering them, although he doesn't address who they were or what was bothering them or anything like that. It's just an enjoyable read because you get a lot of history of railroads, Indian tribes, 
uh, sedentary versus active people. Uh, it's just I find it so interesting. So what's his point about sedentary or active that, that active people tend to have as, as, a, as a whole tend to have less mental health issues on the backside of trauma because of their more active lifestyle? No, he was looking at it from a, uh, strictly from a freedom uh, uh, aspect, as in free to do whatever the hell they want, free to go where they want, not tied down to the land by a crop. Got that it. was the angle that, he, that he's talking about. What he's, what he's trying to get at is total freedom. The freest guy in the world in America in the 1920s was that last Indian from that tribe in California that wandered out of the mountains. That was the freest guy there ever was in America, but he wasn't very happy, and that's the point of the book. Um, is that a lot of people equate uh, the ability of not, not having civic responsibilities with freedom, and it's, this is an argument against that. It's just a nice, easy read, and it's, I, I love Sebastian Younger. I, I've actually had a chance to meet him, and yeah. so uh, yeah. I, I, which I, which I'll name drop because I don't know that many famous cool dudes like Sebastian Younger, but it was a nice read. But it brings me up to something I told you about yesterday, Mac, and that's a heads up. There's a book coming out called The Rifle, uh, written by a, a, a former Marine who uh, did a couple tours in Iraq. And I real quick, I'll, I'll look at his, his name, Andy Bigill, Bigill, named after an uncle who was killed in World War II. And as he gets home struggling, he decides to try to find out more about his namesake. And the first thing he discovers was that his uncle, Andy Bigill, loved his M1. All he could talk about was how much he loved that rifle. So he bought an M1 tried to explain to his parents how much this meant to his, uh, his, his uncle that he never met. They didn't understand. So he takes it to a World War II vet, and he says the guy wasn't mentally all there normally, but he put that rifle in his hands, and the guy came alive. Long story short, he's written a book. I think he's put that – I think he's got 200-and-something signatures on that rifle. I'm sorry. At the end of the visit, he had the veteran sign the rifle. Now he's got about 200 signatures and, and more than that stories of vets – where there was consistently the same thing. They put the rifle in their hands, particularly if they were prior infantrymen, they'd come alive. They'd say stories that their children said they'd never heard. It's just a, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a hell of a book. And I wanted to mention that because it just sounded so damn cool. Yeah. You know, I got a, I got a communication from his publicist and I was supposed to, how about Mac May 27th? And I've just been, busy and i just responded how about another date kylie um yeah no, you could, interesting tim, tim was talking to me about this when i was driving to the airport yesterday in montana and i have this vision i mean of you know some retired you know combat veteran from world war ii and then you put this thing in in their hands i did this yeah. with my uncle he he served in the army of army of occupation of germany and oh my God, you know, you know, he stands up and he tries to do the manual of arms with it. Now he's in his eighties, right? And the way you and the way you used to, right? You 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 use kind of the knife edge of your left hand, right, to blow yeah. that the, the the lever and yeah. that would blow the bolt open. But he he couldn't he couldn't hit it hard enough, and he's going, God damn it. Right, and he's, and he's and he's trying to do it, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, Mugs, be a man, get that thing to the back. Like, what is wrong? And my aunt's like, What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And, and my uncle's laughing. He goes, I used to be able to do this so fast. He goes, uh, and you could, I mean, 
So, I mean, just by, it brings back a great memory of me with my uncle and watching him get so geeked when I, I had restored an M1 grand. And, uh, but I had a little dose of that, which is very interesting. But imagine the epiphany of this guy when he does it for the first time and then has this incredible conversation with this guy who just this flood of memories come back simply because of this rifle. That's very cool. So I got to track, yeah. I got to track him down. All right, Jeffrey, what are you reading? Okay, well, I'm reading two books. I'm finishing up uh, Ghost Ship, which is a great book. I'm at the part now where the ship is sunk, and these guys are desperately trying to survive. Uh, in the, uh, they eventually become, you know, part of the, uh, the POW situation that was building the railroads in Burma, that became like part of that film uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai. And uh, matter of fact, the, the hero of that movie played a deep water sailor from the Asiatic fleet, William Holden. He, he played a, one of those guys. So it's a great book. And the mo- and the other the startling thing about it is a couple of times guys on lifeboats and on pieces of just pieces of flotsam, they get uh, picked up by Japanese who try to deliver them to larger ships and the larger ships won't take them. So in some cases they kill them, but in most cases they just set them adrift. And these guys are, you know, trying to, uh, to survive. And uh, it's mixed uh, reception from the natives there who are either resentful of the white man from, you know, from colonial times or afraid of helping them because of the, you know, the, um, the aggressiveness of the Japanese. So it's a, it's a good book. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm able to read about 20 minutes a night. But I'm also reading this book by a guy named, uh, by a guy named Marley who, who works for Breitbart about, uh, it's called Breaking the News. How the news and the Chinese, Chinese government and uh, the media uh, are corrupted basically now. And that most of the big news organizations have a history of that. Like, for instance, one that leaps out, and I know, Mac, you've brought it up, the New York Times. They've, oh, been, yeah. uh, they've been so – they were corrupt during the Second World War. They are corrupt before that. They were protecting – you know, the truth was out about what Stalin was doing in uh, like the Ukraine and places like that, you know, farm collectization, mass murder. And they just didn't report it. Matter of fact, they ran down anyone who did. And so, you know, that's interesting, but I have to tell you, Hey, can I, can I, can I hop in here? Uh, uh, I'll just say, if you want to read some really, really interesting stuff, uh, contemporary stuff, right. I I've talked about Glenn, you know, Greenwald. He's a a liberal guy, right? And he, but he's he, he's not afraid of the truth. The other he's per- all over this book, man. Right. The other person I would tell you to read, who just lit the New York Times up, is a former New York Times staff writer yeah, by the name. Her, her name female. is Barry Weiss. Yep. And she lit yeah. them up yesterday. And so, so to me, read what liberal writers who aren't afraid of the truth are writing these days, right? Yeah. And it's it's very interesting. Greenwald's one of them. Barry Weiss, B-A-R-I-W-E-I-S-S. And just right. and just listen to what she talks about the, the woke, you know, children of the New York Times newsroom behaving like they're running a high school newspaper. And right. she and she lets them have it. And so again, these are liberal writers, they're not conservative writers that are concerned with what is reporting and truth in the United States of America in a contemporary nation by these woke people with an agenda and what they're doing and the impact they're having on the democracy. Right. So I I, it's very, yeah, it's very good stuff. Very good stuff. But, the, but even more than that is the atmosphere that I'm reading these great books and that 
my family, my wife, all my furniture, all that stuff is in Las Vegas. Yet I, I exist alone in my empty apartment in San Clemente. <laughs> and I am so happy. I so happy. I sit in a in a ratty old rattan chair with I use a box for a, for a coffee table, and uh, I'm thinking I'm like Travis Bickle, the taxi driver retired, you know, <laughs> reading these books, and uh, you know, so it's uh, it's great. I'm you know, but I look at pictures of my house with all the furniture. I think that's great, but I can wait till I get there because I'm kind of happy right now. <laughs> funny <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like uh kind of like a a, a a a facet of what tim was talking about with younger's book about uh you know the true the, the freedom and happiness thing <laughs> wow yeah I, although younger was trying to point out you can't be it alone that's that's yeah. the point you but know? it's a sport if you do it <laughs> it's my favorite sport right now being alone and this champion of being alone this is Jeff Kenny, age sixty-three. Wait, uh, never mind. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> world champion being alone. But you know, but not for long. That's I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. That's to, the that's our instinct, though, to be yeah. alone, right? And for all the reasons you know that that we've discussed, and and you know, to me, you know, it, it's been very public about this. And but you know, you're struggling. You're doing it for the first time, and you're going down the road for the first time. You go looking for help. You don't. You find shit, and you're embarrassed. You don't want your friends to know, and so what do you do? You 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 tend to self medicate, and you know, and you fake it, and you isolate yourself. And right. I, I see it, I see it all the time, and that's why I mean, just my experience here this week. Going up there with you know Bravo Company or it wasn't Bravo Company but it was a uh, third force reconnaissance company guys, and you can see the way they are with each other. But I know there's guys who didn't show up because they were afraid. Some of them aren't physically you know they're fat. They don't want guys to see them like that, right? Some of them are are in various states of uh, emotional carnage, right? And they don't want people to see it, and so you know in that they stay to themselves. And, uh, again, the thing that will kill you is the isolation, right? The struggle won't, in my opinion, doesn't kill you. It's the isolation that ultimately uh, takes you to a really bad place. So, so anyway, well said. But, you know, truth be told, you living with it out of a rattan chair with a box for a table, that's not, you're not foreign to that existence, Jeff. No, and it's not going to last for very much long. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go home every other week oh. to Vegas. Fly, it's cheap to fly there. I'll swim in the pool. I'll fiddle fuck around, and uh, and eventually I'll get another job there, so I won't have to be here. But I'm in this apartment till one July. Then I'm gonna bunk with these other guys, um, you know, my stepsons who live next door, and then until uh, uh, you know I get something else. The um, here's an email from Ohio man about Barry Weiss. She just launched a serial podcast on cancel culture this week. It was a great less lesson. Palestinian family in Minneapolis got crushed by the mob, and evidently she uh, she talks about it. All right. Uh, anything? Uh, so Jeff updated us on the move. Uh, what percentage uh, are you moved? I am ninety percent moved. Whoa! All I have is garbage that Lori won't fucking part with. So little by little, as she's gone, I'm gonna shit can it without her knowing, and. Uh, it's like wrought iron bullshit and fucking plants and shit. 
Um, but that's, you know, but, but most, I'm going to have enough so that it looks like I'm complying, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a complex, um, it's a complex set of tactics to maintain your manhood when, uh, you don't have the balls to just tell somebody, you know, to go to hell. So, uh, I've learned, I'm learning it, you know. I, I'm like the king. I'm gonna write a book. The story of Jeff Kenny. The juice ain't worth the squeeze. You know. Hey, hey, hey! Screen those plants, Jeff. Some of those are expensive, bro. Yeah, you know you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, like hey. yeah, that's real expensive. Habit. That's one of the funnier things you've ever said on this program, by the way. And and its truth, its funniness lies as always in its truth. Yeah, truth. So, Will, when are you going back to Kansas City? Are you staying at your undisclosed lake location for much no. longer? No, I'll be traveling relatively soon, but at an undisclosed time. When do you think um, you'll pick up your wagering habit again? I mean, are you missing uh, it? I, can you... Fairly, fairly soon thereafter. <laughs> you know, Tim has a. I don't know. It wasn't might not have been the last podcast, but he had two very, very I thought very funny lines that he kind of just slipped in on the down low. One was when I was talking about um, Grand Forks and the legend the, attributed to Native Americans that tornadoes didn't hit the city because of the confluence of two rivers there. And Tim, right. and Tim very dryly says, "Solid science behind that, no doubt." Right, and he doesn't. He, he doesn't. He doesn't pause in his delivery. He doesn't even accentuate it. He just. Uh, he just delivers it. And then the other thing he said, God, I don't. It escapes my mind. But it was. It was a comment on something that as, Will had as said. As predictable as a chlamydia outbreak in West Point. No, that wasn't it. That was. <laughs> that was my favorite you, one. No, you said that with great. Day. You said that with great fanfare. The the second one was something as funny. <laughs> Right, yeah, like you expected the rim shot with that, right? But the second one was was equally as funny, um, and it just delivered in a very very dry way, and and then you just continued, which to me, so it's one of those things where your head snaps, like, what did he just say? And but it was it was very funny. I was I'm now I'm, yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to establish a trend. We'll see if I can keep it up. Right, 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 right. All right. Well, uh, first of all, have a great uh, have a great weekend. And uh, Will, good luck with in your travels, Jeff. Good luck. Safe travels, Will. Good luck as you seek to recover your, your manhood on the down low. Um, <laughs> stealth manhood. Yeah. yeah, stealth. You know what? That's a book. Stealth manhood. <laughs> right, especially and so apt in our in our cancel culture environment. Absolutely. Yeah, Self you know, manhood. it's interesting. I'm going to be more assertive if it's okay with you guys. It's interesting, um, <laughs> right? In the world, of, in the world of dating, you'll you, you know, especially here in California, you'll go out with and she'll like you're well, you're such a guy. It's like yeah, like yeah. That's I'm working on that though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's what I go that's, to a therapist. I am not the guy anymore. That's well. That's what I. That's what I am. That's what I've always been. Like, yeah, but it's, you you just don't see it that much anymore. I mean, it's laughable, right? It's laughable. Right. I, I guess I'm supposed to be more female, but it's really not my thing, right? And so, hey, moderately amusing. Don't have to worry about that. I think you got that one pretty well. 
What, being a man? Thanks, Will. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. So, Jeff, if you're looking for some tutoring, I can help you out on that. Thanks, man. But I don't know. I well, hey, Lori, Lori's a... Masculine Lord. empathy. That's 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 oh, the key. Masculine oh. empathy. Well, there you go. You're from your from your resident analyst. Lori's a pretty tough customer, though. Oh, right. You don't know the half of it. I know. Never marry somebody tougher than you. That's the moral of the story. Good. That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Lest they break you down like in shotgun style, right? <laughs> me and me and the step and my stepsons are like we're like we're like uh, you know stealth fucking rebels you know what i mean trying to get by you know it's just inc- I, I could tell you i don't want to bore everybody but uh it is really boring but it's disturbing you know so <laughs> well, just how, let it go how far <laughs> how far a mighty man has fallen but uh last jeff time, just last so time i saw jeff he was playing jeremiah johnson with the fucking pashtuns in kunar province rounding around the mountains on his own driving around in pickup crying. trucks and, and now, it, now it's come to Not this. I don't believe. Now it's come to this. Oh, I know what Tim said. He made some off. Um, oh, Will made a comment about some statistic and uh, the probability of a statistic. And then Tim said, "Well, far be it for me to right to to comment on the math of a of a chronic gambler or something." <laughs> Or the odds, the odds estimate of a chronic gambler, or he says something like that, and again, he doesn't pause, and he just, and so we're sitting. But I mean that as a com- I mean that nicest possible way. <laughs> and so we're, we're sitting here, right, on Skype, so you can see everybody's reaction, and so Will's just, you know, Tim's talking, so Will's just sitting there listening, right, and then you see Will's head go back, and he's laughed, and, and so it's like the velvet stiletto, right? <laughs> Here you go, but he couldn't counter my uh, my odds estimation. So yeah, no, and he free, no reason to freely admitted it. Freely admitted it, but <laughs> but you know it's interesting. There's good a thing, there is a, life more annoying than a guy who's always right. Yeah, well, or the, <laughs> unless it's a woman who's always right, or, that's or, even worse. That's or, or really they, annoying. Or when uh, they or when they jam your own words up your ass. And but <laughs> Tim seems to be it on your own guitar. I. <laughs> I've made a lifetime of being the most annoying person you know. So. The, um, but oh, t- Tim, I, I, Tim I see- have visions of mounting up our command group from Bravo 1-8, fleeing into the red-headed woodpecker area where Will Constantini, I know, isn't going to follow me with the AAVs because they're not allowed to drive in there. And the fucker comes crashing right through there. It stops yeah. and goes, are you guys going to quit yet? We're like, and God no, damn, no, man. This is ridiculous. No, you said... What, no, you said you're my prisoner, sir. I said that's exactly what you said. I, I remember Uncle Constantini of the United States. Marine, that's right. And you, sir, are my prisoner. That's exactly. <laughs> I remember that stuff. And we're and we're sitting there. We're like blowing wind. We've been running with these stupid prick seventy sevens on our back for an hour trying to get away from them. No, he, yeah, he's I was relaxed. the evaluator for that. I remember that. For those for those of you who that's don't right. know, that is a line from the movie. Right, the wind and the lion. Uh, that is yeah. a classic Marine Corps self propaganda, uh, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely. Be- but Tim seems to be genuinely offended by Will's gambling, which is interesting. I mean, it is a consistent editorial. Not offended, amazed. It is. Amazed. A, it is a. Cool. Yeah, but you're. I mean, you're, you. You. You know, you seem to be a victim's advocate for you know the military pensioners that Will filches in these poker games. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, these are not military people. These are just social security pensioners. Much, yeah. I, I do have some standards. <laughs> if if somebody was going like to retire Rock. and gamble for the rest of his days, I thought it would have been Rain Man. He's got the mind for it. He doesn't no, forget I shit. I, I'll tell you, I, I it's never really interesting. Yeah, he doesn't have, to, but he doesn't have the money. A, he doesn't have the money for it. Oh. That's well, a problem. That's a problem. Well, he, I'm not allowed to access it. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you know, when you play, you try and win more than you lose, but you do lose sometimes. And there's no way Jeff could explain to the Empress any of his losses. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I was robbed. Who I would would. rob you? Uh, I don't, some somebody with a they had, guy had a 20 millimeter chain gun. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Uh, all right enough about our personal lives all right boys have a great weekend and uh i certainly appreciate uh jeff you hanging in there with your overheated phone yeah i'm i'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm i'm uh in the third stage of heat exhaustion right now myself so all right uh, well, always mission focused yeah. love that guy <laughs> <laughs> have a great day see you there you have, <laughs> there you have it the Mensa Brothers, uh, that shit was funny, man. You guys might not have enjoyed it, but I sure as hell did. The, um, yeah, and yeah, Timmy with his little, with his little comments, right? And so, you know, if you've ever done Skype, right? So there's a little, like, mosaic of uh, people there. And you'll see Tim talk, and Will puts his head down, and then, <laughs> and then you'll see... We'll start laughing as Tim makes his comment, but yeah, I find them very funny. Very funny. Those little asides, right? Those little daggers that people put in the comments. Um, anyway, um, that'll do it on a uh, Thursday. Uh, I think the chef and Greg Lotus will be here. And um, thanks for listening. Um, again, for me, this week as it always is is another lesson of how many people are, are out there that are really hurting and uh, have looked for help and haven't really got it and I have to tell you post-traumatic winning um, is a path to something and it's a path to explore life after trauma right and it, it's it's not an answer; it's a path, and that path will lead you to a great place, you know. And and there's this so the, the path of post traumatic winning is really wide, and there's a lot of lanes in it. And you know, everybody winds up in a different lane, or they switch lanes, you know, based on where they're at. And uh, but let me tell you this: the more I see it, the more I'm convinced it is an incredible path to live in an incredible life. And it's an invitation to intellectually explore a subject. And I don't, in fact, yesterday I got asked, um, God, what was, it? what was the question? And my answer was, I don't know. It was, do you think that this is, I said, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I'd be happy to explore it with you. But I don't have a definitive black and white answer for you on that. And he smiled. And he, he said, "That's awesome." I said, "No, you know, so much of this um, is is 
the intellectual exploration that I began as a young professional with these guys who you heard today, you know, through our arguments and discussions and ball busting, um, going, then going home and reading to make yourself smarter because, you know, Jeff, Will, or Tim, or Paul Kennedy, or Dave Furness, or Dutch Shriver, all the other guys, or Lenny Echo, all these guys who were wicked smart, you know, and they were deeply committed to their profession. That you know something they taught you that you don't you didn't know and you wanted to learn it. Well, post-traumatic winning is very much like that. And uh, but at it at its essence, it's a path. And so people will call me and say, "Well, Mac, have you heard this guy?" Pre-? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, that's all good. But what we're talking here is behavior change. So if that appeals to you, that's fine. Okay. How does that change your behavior? Which brings him back to the path. Right, which brings him back to the path. So I love the path, by the way. Um, and and let me tell you why I love it. I love it because it works. So on this uh, on this Friday, thanks for listening. I'm Michael McNamara, as my mother named me. Um, this is All Marine Radio on the All Wire Radio Network. This program repeats itself momentarily. Uh, if you tuned in late, it's pretty good. Don't touch that dial. I have to trim both ends, and then I'll throw it back up to be repeated. Um, If I can help you help somebody, anybody, um, please don't hesitate. Uh, Let me know, and I'd I'd love to. And if you can help somebody, don't be afraid to stick your hand out and say, Hey, man, do you got a minute? Can I talk to you? You know there's nothing wrong with you, right? You know that all this that you're going through is pretty normal for what you've been through, and there's nothing wrong with you, and I'd like to show you something. And then, and then call me on the phone and put me on speaker and I'll help you. And that will begin the discussion. That will begin the exploration. That will begin the dialogue with somebody about something that could be life-changing. So don't be afraid to do that. On that note, have a great day. I'm out. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, go Colleen. Graduate from high school today.